Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about developing and communicating vision. I am joined, as always, by my faithful and visionary co-host, Matthew Stubblefield. Hi, Matthew. Pleasure as always, Ryan. Great to see you. And today's very special guests include learning and development consultant, David Faby. Hi, David. Hey, Ryan. Great to be on the show. Pleasure to have you, David. And the Orange Avenger himself, the man in charge, Simon Hayden-Williams. Simon, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Ryan. A real pleasure. So today we're going to start off with a Thunderbolt round. And the topic is, what's inspired us recently? And, you know, as the host, I get to go first. What's inspired me recently? Kendrick Lamar. So Kendrick Lamar is a rapper. Um, and I am not, I'm gonna, I'm not even going to hold back when I say this. He is a brilliant artist. What he is doing in the musical sphere, nobody's touching that guy right now. He's more vital and important in music than any rock artist I can think of. And I love rock and roll, but, uh, the, the dude's last two albums are breathtaking in their scope and, um, and vision. Like he's got, he's, they, they are complete statements a, that's a that's a bold statement, Ryan. Is there is there something in particular that inspires you about it? Um, the ferocity with the vision it's so it's it's so vital. The music itself, his performances on each track, the way each track is arranged, what he's talking about, and he's not holding anything back. Like if you haven't, his latest album is called Damn. All exclamation, all capitals with a period, and the one before it is called "To Pimp a Butterfly," and both of those records are are spectacular. I don't. I mean, it's like I want. I, I can't say enough good about it. As far as hip hop goes, it's it's visceral. It's very honest. So there's going to be some things that some people hear and they're like, "I do not like that," um, and it's political in a, in a large way too. But. Um, He's he's in control of his uh, of of his art, and I am just blown away by that. So that's me. I've taken enough for, time. Kendrick Lamar, for, the man. For our viewers who are joining us today, I, I just want to share. I haven't seen Ryan this excited in quite a while, so he's 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 really spun up about I'm, this. I'm pumped about it. If if you like rap, if you like hip hop, you got. I mean, everyone's listening to him. He's the biggest name in the game right now. But yeah, I'm really inspired by Kendrick. So David, what's inspired you recently? I don't know if I can top that, but uh, oddly enough, I don't know if it's oddly enough, but I recently I have been greatly inspired by one member of the British royal family. It, Prince Harry has had an interesting journey uh, from doing his, his combat tours in Afghanistan to his work with Wounded Warriors and the Invictus Games, but lately he has taken as his cause having a very public conversation around mental health and has opened up very personally about the impact of the death of his mother, Princess Diana, and, and how he managed that grief process and didn't manage that grief process. And it has been this remarkable journey seeing the royal family, which we think of as very kind of a very staged entity and very carefully controlled, you know, personas, uh, 
very much embarking on a personal journey and, and very much being very public about it. And it's been very inspiring to see. He's, he, you know, he's, he's, he's not the sort of person who just comes on the balcony and waves, and it's been inspiring and both impressive to see. So believe it or not, I'm going to have to say Prince Harry. I don't know if he can rap or not, but, but he certainly can, can start a national conversation. That's, a, that's impressive. You know, the only thing that we Americans see about Prince Harry is that his family is warning him about a potential engagement. Like, that's all we get for the royals in America. I have not seen any of that, but I'm really, that's really encouraging and very cool. And, and of course, all of his work with the Invictus Games, which is the Wounded Warrior Project in the United States, uh, his work with veterans has, has just been, been tremendous. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, uh, at, uh, at Adaptivist, we'll be able to partner with the Diana Award in the future. They're interested in working with us. So uh, we may even have a chance to help that work along in some fashion. Very cool. Simon. What about you? What's inspired you recently? So in the UK recently, there's been a whole lot of bad stuff going on. There's been bombs, there's been fires, and a whole lot of disasters. And there's a whole bunch of people who have helped other people out and to a very large extent have just got on with their lives. I think it's a very British response to some of the things that have been going on. That's very inspiring. Actually, I'm going to say something slightly more, I guess, local to Adaptivist. Uh, I'm going to talk about our own Harpath well. So a couple of weeks back, we were in Canada with a whole uh, a whole North American team, and we spent you know a good solid week together in Toronto uh, and up in Deerhurst. And one of the things I found most inspiring was the kind of love that Harp inspired from his team and the rest of the organization, and, and the way that people had taken to their roles purely because of meeting Harp and his enthusiasm. I find that pretty inspiring. <laughs> Everybody loves Harp, and he is absolutely inspiring. I like to think of him as my brother from another country. He, Harp should be on every podcast, <laughs> about every topic. I'm going to give up the hosting job and just give it to Harp. <laughs> well, I think what was most amazing about that week in Toronto was I've discovered that the key to open any door in Canada is just to say you know Harp. I'm pretty sure he has the key to all the cities. And when you open a door with heart, behind it is a room full of cheerleaders. Yeah, <laughs> and models. That's unavoidable with heart every time. So amazing, Simon. Thank you. Matthew, what's inspiring you now? Not quite as cool as, as the royal family or, or Kendrick Lamar, perhaps. Um, or Harp. Country but, or Harp I mean, for that matter. But um, I, I am currently rereading a uh, fantasy fiction series from when I was a kid. Uh, That's something I read when I was... Uh, I think I started it when I was around 11 or 12. So like, it's been quite a while. Uh, and I had it on my bookshelf. I got it from a used bookstore, picked it back up recently. Because when I was young, it really had a big impact on me. And I, I kind of wanted to revisit this. It's sort of what I would call popcorn fantasy fiction. It's something you can read quickly and easily. But the, the characters are sort of brutally honest. And there's one in particular who is a... He's often described as he's a guy who goes through life with a smirk on his face that says, any universe clever enough to have Walter Slavatsky and it is on the right track. Uh, he's very, very self-centered, but also, you know, a good guy and he gets himself in these scrapes. And what I find inspiring about it is because even though he has this devil-may-care attitude, uh, he's going through some, some rough stuff throughout his life because this covers decades, the series does. And he, he has to grow up. And as, you know... Uh, you know, preteen young man reading through this series. Uh, I, had a, I had a bit of a rougher childhood uh, and, you know, was experiencing a lot of, of loss and poverty and things like that. Going through high school, I think uh, by the time I graduated, I'd 
I'd had, you know, 15, 20 uh, friends and family members die uh, from drug overdoses and car accidents and, and health issues and things of that nature. And every chapter in these books starts with a quote. And there's one that has stuck with me for the last 20 years uh, where Slavatsky writes, when you say goodbye to a friend, assume that one of you is going to die before you ever get to see one another again. If you want to leave something unsaid, fine, but be prepared to leave it unsaid forever. And there's all these quotes from him that just hit me and shaped the way I grew up that said, I can't leave things unsaid. I need to let people know. Uh, I, need to be sh- I need to share. I need to be vulnerable. I need to let people know that they matter. I need to invest in people and help them. I need to stick to things. I need to work hard. And it all came out of this, this fantasy fiction series. So I'm a big proponent of reading. It's one of the things when I work with students, I tell them they need to get out and read. They need to read different things and experience it because you never know where you're going to find wisdom. Uh, and to not end this segment on a downer, Slavatsky's Law 29, it ain't over till it's over. And maybe not then either. So uh, <laughs> I live my life by Slavatsky's Laws. It's never stood, uh, steered me wrong. I wonder if those laws conflict with any state or regional ones. A few, a few, but, but, but a lot of them are, uh, you know, you, you interpret them as you need to for the moment. So, so that's all fairly inspiring. And thank you all for sharing such great stuff. So in the title of our podcast, it's Adaptivist Live, though we're not really live. You are hearing a pre-recorded session. Um, it's the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. We are in the ecosystem. And one of our tasks is to represent Atlassian's vision to our clients, right? We're part of that world. So what would you say that Atlassian's vision is from the outside looking in? Well, Atlassian is all about teams. And uh, I guess their vision has evolved in the time that we've been working with them. Um, You know, they started off uh, providing tools for developers and now they're all about um, creating that collaboration amongst teams and making teams more powerful. I guess they don't express it this way, but the way I look at it is it's taking the power of things like Agile and DevOps and those kind of things that are beloved of the IT community and starting to try and share those out into the wider business community, those best tools and practices and behaviors. But is that a vision or is that a mission? I, I was just going to say on, on Atlassian, I feel like their, their vision is um, – I always describe it as – and I describe Adaptivist the same way. Like our – our goal is to help people work better together. And Alaskan's really focused on fostering communication and collaboration and saving people time. I, I, I mean, a lot of their mottos are, are very short. Things like no bullshit. Um, I feel like that applies to a lot of the work they do. They just, they want to they provide more transparency. They want to provide more of these things. I don't have a good vision statement, but I, I think that all of that inspires them and is part of what drives what they do. David? Sorry, David. Go ahead. Well, I, and, and I, I think Atlassian has a very, very strong sense of its own mission. And, and that, that mission tends to be grounded in, in confidence and, and faith in the products that it delivers. Uh, I, I, and, and, but like you, I, I struggle in, in the vision space. And, and I, I think it's worth having a little bit of a clar- clarification here but, but between the two. I think when, when you look at most companies' websites, including Atlassian's, which I just did, I cheated, I looked at their website, at the, and then you, you go to the About Us link on, on any corporate webpage and, and click on our vision, what you generally find there is a very good explanation of what they're currently doing now. Vision is future tense. 
mission is present tense. And, and, and most companies, if, if, if you look at what they say as a mission, and if it isn't in the future tense and it's in the present tense, they're talking about what they're doing. Mission is, is how we're climbing the mountain. Vision is what the view from the top is going to look like when you get there. And, and so, you know, here, here at Adaptivist, I think we have a very strong sense of our vision. And, and, and Simon, you can chime in on this when it says, when we say we want to be the biggest and best Atlassian partner by every reasonable metric, we're talking about what it's going to look like when we get there. Yeah, and, it's, it's about not just being the, the, I guess, the richest or the most successful or the most profitable. I mean, they're all kind of good things from a business point of view, but... But really, it's about it's about um, you know having the best customers and providing the best service and a whole bunch of softer things that really matter. It, it's as you say, it, it's how you know it's how you know when you're there. And to an extent, it's one of those things that's slightly textural. You know, you know when you feel it, but it's quite hard to describe. A lot like finished pasta. Wait, <laughs> very much like finished pasta. Our our, our uh, mission and vision. Our vision is to be like finished pasta. A, a delicious El Dante. Um, but we, you know, looking at some other companies' um, vision statements, I, I really I find this to be pretty inspiring. I think David pointed out in a conversation earlier the nonprofit sector does it great, right? The the multiple sclerosis societies' vision is a world free of MS. It's very short. It's very very punchy. And, like and it, it's, and it feels. I like get that. I can I could live in that world, right? If only I donate enough. Um, and we have from the the uh, Pata- from the private sector, Patagonia will build the best products, cause no harm, use business to inspire solutions that help the environment. That's very clear. You know, it it's it borders on what they're doing, but it definitely looks towards the future. So, David, some more thoughts on that? Well, it's uh, what why what the nonprofit sector tends to do it better for a couple of reasons. One, because Nonprofit work tends to be aspirational, and 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 the corporate center tends to be operational, and mission is operational, vision is aspirational. If I if I, if I had to kind of suss that out, and you know it's um, wh- whether it's the World Hunger Council, which is a, a just world free from hunger, and you know visions not only are they future tense and are they aspirational, but it's it's very visual language. Uh, it, you know, the, the elements, if, if, if you look at the core elements of an inspiring vision, they are, is future tense, has a unique characteristic, appeals to shared values, and aspires toward something higher and better than what currently exists. And, and so it, when, when looking at that, it's, it's about what's it going to be, not what it is right now. And it's, it's, it's hard. People struggle and organizations really struggle with, with vision. Uh, in, you know, Simon was talking uh, about you know, our, our trip to Toronto and, and the great meeting Adaptivist had in Toronto where we talked about vision. And, and everyone, in, when trying to craft kind of their own vision statements, realized, wow, this is, this is a lot harder than talking about what I do every day. <laughs> yeah, that we can do. And, but it's, it's important, and it's I, you know the, the, one of the best best T-shirts I ever saw was saying, "Be careful if you don't know where you're going, you might not get there." And and it's it's it is it, it is about knowing where, where we're going. And and I think bringing this down to an individual level, you know, we talk about organizational missions, but why why do we want people to have individual vision statements? 
is, is, is so they can see how the work they do connects to where you collectively want to go. So Simon, tell us Adaptivist's vision and talk for a little bit about how that impacts how we do our day-to-day. So uh, we made the decision uh, nearly six years ago to have the vision statement that we want to be the biggest and best Atlassian partner by every reasonable metric. And that came from, you know, being sat in the room for probably two days with post-it notes and trying to figure out the things that were really important to us. And like most businesses, you know, you want to make a profit, you want to turn over money, you want to grow, you want to hire more people, you want to deliver quality and you want to have happy customers. Actually, it turns out that the amount of um, key performance indicators, things that you really care about, there's actually quite a lot of them. And sometimes some of those are slightly in opposition with each other. So, for example, being the most profitable company um, as, a, as, a, as a single kind of mission um, can be antagonistic with having the happiest employees or the happiest customers. And it's trying to find a balance between all of those things. And so we came up with this this test of the of the the biggest and best by every reasonable metric. And that means on a day-to-day basis, we are kind of in pursuit of all of those fairly obvious KPIs, some of which we have written down. Um, and you know, I get up in the morning, I think about, you know, are we offering the best quality to our clients? Are we are we engaging uh, to truly understand their problems? Or are we just kind of phoning it in? And actually, I'm not interested in just phoning it in. I'm interested in, in doing good work that leaves clients in a better position uh, than before we went there. With our products, are we are we defining roadmaps that bring features that 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 people want to use that, that is going to extend the way they use the tools, that's going to improve their business and add real value to their businesses? And that's what it really amounts to. That's what being the biggest and best by every reasonable metric means to me. And your adhesion to that philosophy makes its way through every facet of the company. When learning and development is working on our stuff, we're we're not just thinking about this is going to be something that that sells well and we're going to do great. We're thinking about is this going to 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 improve the people who go through it? Is the people who go through this this learning experience? It, it's an interesting thing when you when you look at business. Actually, I think that uh, focusing too much on metrics like profitability and sales success, you know, of course they're important. They're kind of the pulse and the lifeblood of a business. But really, they're a consequence of doing the right things. They're a consequence of building quality. They're a consequence of of building things that people feel useful. They're a consequence of communicating with people. They're a consequence of understanding what people want, and that that's the really key part of it. And and to get those things, you know, you have to you have to hire good people uh, and get good people, um, uh, give good people the freedom and the tools to deliver. Um, to deliver the things that they they kind of know intrinsically they want, and, and that's what we try and do as a team. Yeah, in learning and development, I often think of because it's not all about the bottom line. Like, and if you define biggest and best as most profitable, um, I, I I just don't think you can. I don't think that's I don't think that actually is best. Uh, one thing David and I were talking about earlier was um, really to internal professional development. You know, where we invest in our employees and. There is a financial component with that. It's very expensive to uh, um, to hire people. It's very expensive to rehire if they leave. Uh, I think the the average cost of replacing somebody in the UK if they leave within about eight months it's about forty thousand pounds because you've got the the work lost while they're gone. You've got an opportunity cost there. You've got recruiting costs. You've got onboarding costs. You've got you know all the the time and, and work involved and everything. It's it's very expensive. So there is 
you know, for internal professional, we invest in people, we retain them, there's some money there. But people do better work when they're happier. Uh, they do better work in a good environment. They, they in, you know, uh, when they feel invested in, they're, they're more likely to stay. And so there's, there's a lot of, I view that part as being the best, is, is that we care about our people. Uh, I, was, I was saying this about Tom Lasferini um, the other day. Had some, some family health issues and whatnot going on, and I really felt like Tom communicated to me that, that family comes first. Uh, and that's, that's remarkable, I think. I don't think I've seen that at very many other companies. Uh, and so, so to me, Adaptivist being the biggest and best, part of that's, you know, you know, our sales and whatnot, but we put people first, we put our customers first, we care more about their success than we do about our bank account. And because we do that, you know, we make money and we keep the lights on, but we care about people. Yeah. And any kind of business, particularly a business like ours, where, you know, a large part of what we do is selling services. It's really all about people. And, you know, I, I guess this this podcast is mostly about the communication um, of these things. And I think that by building that culture that you talk about, people communicate these things to each other. I think, you know, it's very it's very easy to kind of stand at the top uh, and sort of scream and shout about what your values and your behaviors and your vision is. Um, but really, you need everybody in the organization to buy into that and, and re-communicate to each other and reinforce that. And that's what that's what builds a high-performing culture, I think. What Simon just talked about is the concept of enrollment. And, and I think that's that's the important thing to know. When One of the questions that often gets asked is, why should we care about this stuff if, if we know our mission? Isn't that good enough? Because mission is, is what makes money. Mission is what leads to profit and profit is always a result and it's an important result. But when we talk about are, are your staff enrolled in the vision and, and, and that's in, in organizational development, that's the word that they choose deliberately. Enrollment means I want that too. Uh, and it, it's the difference between engagement and agreement. And, and you, you can, organizations that have, have survived and thrived are organizations that have gotten widespread staff enrollment in the vision and and whereas you know a, a great example is um believe it or not you know everybody uses it because everybody gets it and that's apple and 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 my my niece is, is a vice president of marketing for apple and so you know she she eats sleeps and drinks this stuff and and i asked her uh what's it like on the inside of the apple mothership and it's and, and she says, if 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 you can't believe in what you're doing, you won't last. And and you know, Apple's vision is technology that betters life. I mean, you know, that betters the world around them, that betters everyday life for people. That's their vision. They will improve the world through technology. And this is if if you can't enroll in that and see how how your job connects to that. It's, it's it's like the old story that we told in Toronto about the janitor at NASA, who the reporter asked the janitor, "What do you do?" And he didn't say he sweeps the floor. He says he was putting a man on the moon. He he could see exactly how the of what he did connected with with the broader goals of the organization. And and Simon, you, you, his key point is so vital here. If it, why do we communicate vision? Why, why do we say, here's what it's going to look like at the top of the mountain? Not just to motivate, and motivation's a great thing. You want people to be motivated, and you want them to, to work hard, but so they can say, yeah, I want that too. And they will take ownership and say, here's what in my world, and I'm stamping my widgets 
You know, I know my widgets come from someplace and my widgets go from someplace, but in stamping my widgets, if I can stamp my widgets that much better and, and that much in a way that, that makes it easier for the next person who gets that widget down the assembly line, we're that much closer to the top of the mountain. For our listeners, I think something that's important to keep in mind, as Ryan highlighted at the start of this, we are the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. But part of the reason we talk about this is because as you are you know, working with Jira uh, to manage your work better, as you're putting in Bitbucket and Bamboo so you can, you can deliver to market faster and you get more transparency and everything, we can't always get our teams to work better together through tooling. You know, we, we, can, we can install the Atlassian tools, we configure them, we can make that better, and that helps. That can help facilitate communication, but ultimately the, the tool isn't what makes us work better together. It's, it's having a, a company culture and environment that facilitates that. And if, if, you know, and I talk with a lot of companies that don't, they're not in a good place right now. Um, they're looking to get there. And so starting with a clear vision statement, starting with a clear mission um, that is uh, aspirational and operational and inspirational that, you know, when you talk about it, you go, I want to be there. Just as an FYI, if, if, if you're not there now, culture change takes on average three to five years. But you can't get there if you don't start. Um, so starting to talk about vision, starting to figure out where do you want to be as a team, not even as a company, um, but just you and your team that you work with. Uh, I think those are important conversations to have. And I think often we, you know, we kind of, we, we approach it from a complaining standpoint. We're like, oh, I, I wish things were different. But having these conversations around vision and around culture and about where you want to be, uh, it's, it's the first step to, to starting on that path. Simon, any final thoughts? You know, I think um, it's really important that we all focus on what's important to ourselves and our family. And I think you know, one of the great things about adaptivism, one of the, the parts of the... I guess the vision that we don't really express is that we operate like an extended work family, as some of the people say. And I kind of hope that um, everybody else out there is as happy with an extended work family as I am with mine. And if you want to be part of our extended work family, be sure to visit join.adaptivist.com. I think it's, I think it's actually just joinadaptivist.com. Ah. And if you want to be part of our extended work family, visit joinadaptivist.com. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to be with us today. Simon Hayden-Williams, David Faby, Matthew Stubblefield, thank you all so much. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on Adaptivist Live. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, guys. I mean, to be fair, they won't actually see us because they won't see us because we're they're just listeners, Ryan. They yeah, they can't see us. I know. <laughs> Simon, 